When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you with information that empowers you to make better financial decisions in your life. One way I try to do that is by answering your questions on this podcast, but no way I can get to all of them. That's why we have Team Clark, the Consumer Action Center, where you get free one-on-one advice. Go to clark.com slash CAC. I'm going to begin this show today, though, with information talking about the economy and something that I'm asked about a lot, bonds and where they fit in your portfolio or maybe where they don't fit in your portfolio. And later, a lot in the news recently about fully autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars. I want to talk about that because A lot of people, after the bad publicity in San Francisco I'll talk about, if you didn't hear about it, are like, wow, this is something we totally need to put the kibosh on. I'm going to share with you my opinions coming up. But right now, I'm seeing article after article in the general news and in the financial news trash-talking what's known as the traditional balance portfolio, which is roughly... 60% stocks, 40% bonds, 70-30, 80-20, depending on your age, your situation, how much risk you're willing to take. Well, the last few years have been the worst years for doing this type of portfolio where you do a mix of stock funds and bond funds in pretty much history. And so I'm reading all these stories with headlines about how Bonds no longer play any role in your life. You should never buy bonds. You're much better off buying CDs or having money in savings accounts for the portion you wouldn't have invested in stock type choices. They go on and on and on about why anybody who would put money in bond funds is basically an idiot. This is so crazy because this is what's known in both behavioral economics and human behavior is recency bias. Whatever has happened of late, we take that and we think, oh, that's what it's going to be moving forward. Whatever's happened just recently means if you look into the future, well, that's what's going to happen again. And any financial document you'll see, if you ever look at the disclosures, it'll always say, when it's about a fund, past performance is no indicator of future performance. That applies here too. There are very solid reasons why you want to be an investor and you want to be a lender. When you own bond funds, you are a lender. You are lending money to government at all levels or companies, various forms of where people say, okay, we're going to borrow money from you. You're the bank, essentially. When you 
own bond funds. We're going to lend you money, and this is how much interest we expect from you. So this is something that has served people well for generations till pretty much the last three years. Why did it do so badly the last three years? Because we had had suppressed interest rates ever since the banking scandals that blew up on the economy in 2007, 8, and caused the Great Recession and all that. So we'd had these weirdly low mortgage rates and other interest rates, and savers couldn't earn anything. And so when interest rates started going up and getting what would be referred to as normalized, the value of bonds that people held went down. Why'd they go down? When interest rates go up, the value of existing bonds goes down. Because if you want somebody to buy that bond from you, they're going to want today's equivalent interest rate if they're going to take over that bond, that loan from you. So the bond market just got decimated as the Federal Reserve and the economy in general pushed interest rates up over the last few years. And so suddenly people decided that the stove was too hot. They had to get out of the kitchen and forever never own bonds again. This is a big mistake because interest rates seem to be pretty much near their peak. There may be a little more bump up, but likely we're near the end. And so now you've got bonds that if they're part of your portfolio are going to give you a much better return in interest than they have in recent years. Well, you're going to charge people to lend them money, charge government or charge business when you own bonds, is going to be at a higher rate. And so this is not a time to throw out the balanced portfolio or the mix of owning stock funds, index funds, ETFs, and owning bonds. So yeah, it was really ugly the last three years, but that doesn't in any way mean that what has worked for generations is never going to work again. It's actually the opposite. Just because things were bad the last few years doesn't mean you bail, throw it out moving forward. Because that, if I use another trite phrase, that's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Don't do it. So now it's time for your questions. And today we have Nicole here because Krista is with family this week. So are you excited to? I'm very excited to be here. Yes. Well, it's great to have you here posing the questions today. Yes, thank you. And who are we starting with? So today? we are starting with Rascal in Ohio. I have a number of I-bonds purchased October 2001. Which makes you a genius. Which I thought were great investments, correction, savings vehicle. Warren Buffett's prodigy, I am not. The average compounded interest as of now is 5.57%. Should I cash them in and dollar cost average into the market? I may need the money in 20 years or so. So if you bought Series I savings bonds in 01, my memory is you're earning with Series I savings bonds, I for inflation, you're earning two interest rates. You're earning the current inflation in the market that's reset every six months, and then you're earning a base rate. The bonds that were issued back when you bought them had a really nice base rate. 
So you earn the rate of inflation plus that base rate. Now, you were talking about your compound being 5.57. Now, remember, you own those through an era of virtually zero inflation in the economy in that great recession I was talking about earlier and the ongoing period after for years. So that's actually a great return over the last 22 years. You can own these for 30 And if you're earning a base rate of 1.6% or higher, and you can go online and see what your base rate is from these issued in October of 01, if it's 1.6 or above, I would say, remember, you get that, so you're always earning that above the rate of inflation. I would hold on to them till they would stop earning in 2031, in eight more years, and then at that point, yeah, you take the money and then you start putting it into the market if it's a long-term holding. I would totally think that would be longer term, a better mix of where you put your money than having it in series eyes. But buying them back when you did was actually a very good move when other people were earning essentially zero on their savings. You have earned a compounded of over 5.5% over a very long period of time, a very good move on your part. Next question is from Esperanza in Florida. Does it make a difference on your credit score whether you request a credit card increase or if it's offered by the credit card? Thank you for your wisdom and your commitment to help so many of us. Thank you very much. And Esperanza, it makes no difference with a credit card if you request a credit limit increase or they just grant you a credit limit increase In either case, the credit limit increase has the same beneficial effect for you, regardless of whether it was initiated by you as the consumer or just given to you where you get a letter in the mail from the credit card company saying, congratulations, because of your good credit history, we want to offer you a higher limit. There are people who don't like having higher limits because they're worried they will spend. And if that's you then the higher credit limit is not a good idea. But if you, particularly if you pay your balances in full every month, having an increased credit limit is fantastic for your credit standing, credit reputation, and ultimately your credit score. Next question is from Harry in Georgia. I bought my 2005 Toyota Camry new, and it now has 103,000 miles. In the almost 19 years I've had it, it has needed one repair. A brake light bulb burnout. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. (laughs) Toyota needs to put you in a commercial. (laughs) Yes. I went to Walmart and bought a new one for $2. My children say that I should get a new car with all the new safety features. I am 75 and now only drive about 3,000 miles a year and never more than 25 miles from home. The controls and features in my children's cars seem complicated and confusing. I'm afraid that I might be less safe in an unfamiliar new car. Do you think I should get a new car? By living as you advise, cost is not a factor. I would pay cash for any new car. So, Harry, I don't agree with your kids in this case. Your Camry is still a baby. I mean, 103,000 miles. And, yeah, you'd have a lot more uh, safety features on the vehicle. You'd have, you know, all the backup 
cameras, the warnings about traffic, you know, warnings about, you know, a vehicle, the left or right of you that maybe you're not seeing in your mirrors. You'd have automatic emergency braking and on and on and on. You don't drive enough miles in a year that the cost benefit analysis would make any sense for you to buy a new car. You are financially independent. You have the money to pay cash for a new car. If it's what you want to do, fine. But don't do it because your kids want you to do it. Because that Camry is still a baby, an infant. 103,000 miles? You've spent $2 in repairs on that vehicle in all those years on that Camry? I think your car is just fine. And keep driving it till you say, I want that shiny new one. As far as the gizmos and gadgets and all that, different automakers have done better jobs than others on incorporating all the new technology and making it really, really easy to use. Uh, Some of the manufacturers, particularly some of the luxury brands, have put in all these devices and have so complicated the software that the buyers of the cars, the vehicles, SUVs, whatever, have not been able to really take advantage of them. The real test is how easy they make it to use those things. And if you did, as a loyalist of Toyota, you did buy another Toyota, they've done a better job than many other brands in incorporating the new safety features and making them easy as a driver to use them. But whatever you want to do, fine. Speaking of new gizmos, gadgets, and safety features on cars, I'm going to talk about fully autonomous self-driving cars straight ahead. Right now, they're much in the news because of a tragic accident in San Francisco, and I'm going to talk about that and the role I see coming for self-driving vehicles. General Motors has spent billions on developing technology that makes cars fully autonomous with no driver needed or necessary. I remember years ago when I was at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, Mercedes had a test car that had no steering wheel, no brakes, no accelerator, nothing. It was just a fully autonomous robotic Mercedes. And there were a number of times at CES in Las Vegas where I rode in fully autonomous cars around Las Vegas. And at first you're sitting in it and this total lack of control, and then you get used to it. At Babcock Ranch in Southwest Florida, I was there doing a TV special, and this is a city of tomorrow built for the middle class that does a lot of really cool things. And I was riding around town in an autonomous shuttle that would hold about 25 people. It did its job perfectly. On the other hand, this stuff is not easy. And in a congested urban area, GM, through what's known as its cruise subsidiary, has had kind of like Ubers and Lyfts without a driver fully autonomous General Motors cars that would take people around. You'd order one on an app. You'd ride around in it. Well, one of these cruise cars recently was driving around, hit a pedestrian, and dragged them down the street. 
serious injuries involved. So California lifted the license to allow crews to operate in the state, and GM has temporarily shut down the cruise program. Now, I have a lot of experience with this, with what's known as level two driving, which is not fully autonomous, no driver, because the first Tesla I got that had any elements of self-driving was one I got in 2015. It had very early what they called autopilot self-driving on the freeway that, truth be told, eight years ago was pathetic. I mean, it was not good at all. It would suddenly veer out of the lane and do all kinds of weird stuff. Today, with all the deep data that Tesla has, I can set my destination, get in the Tesla, and when it enters the freeway, it can do all the driving, adjust to traffic around it, pass the cars if there's a slow car in the lane I'm in, get back in the right after it's passed, keep perfect distance from the car in front of me. And I trust it completely on a freeway trip. And particularly if I'm doing a long over the road trip, it drives so much better than I can because there's no what's known as highway hypnosis, no fatigue that occurs over time on the road. On the other hand, as the generations of the Tesla technology have improved, now I have the system in my car where I can set a destination in town and it comes up to a red light and knows what to do, comes up to a stop sign, knows what to do, comes to a four-way stop, knows who's supposed to go next, although we as humans never seem to know at a four-way stop. It does it reasonably well and much better than it did when this first launched, the, the city driving, turn-by-turn city driving. I don't use it anymore. There have been enough times that I find I'm distracted because I forget to even pay attention to what's going on and I'm doing whatever, and it has an oops. And so I don't use it on urban streets. If I'm on a suburban four-lane divided, I'll use it. It works very well. But in tight urban environments, uh uh-uh. I use it 100% of the time on the freeway, 100%. So this is an evolutionary process. We're not ready yet for prime time like GM was doing with Cruise. We're not ready for Elon Musk's promise that, you know, in the next quarter, these are going to be completely autonomous. How many times has he promised that? But it is going to happen. My experience, we're obviously not there yet with the deep data that's being uh, stored and recorded and the improvements with technology, there will be a day where my kids will totally drive in a vehicle where they're not driving. They're just sitting, like the Mercedes I saw at CES. And their kids will probably never learn how to drive because they'll get in some kind of autonomous pod. This is not sci-fi. This stuff is going to happen. It's just not ready yet. And Nicole, are you ready for me? What questions do you have for me? We have a question from Lisa in Connecticut. I would love to hear Clark address the need to repeal the Social Security, WEP, and GPO, which unfairly penalizes teachers and other public servants who pay into Social Security 
through previous careers, second jobs needed to make ends meet, etc. In my case, as a retired teacher in Connecticut with a small pension, I am not eligible to collect any of the Social Security that I worked for and paid into over the years in a previous career and in my summer jobs or in my current part-time job retirement gig. Worse, should my husband predecease me, I will lose all but about $100 of his projected $2,000 a month benefit. It is unbelievable to me that teachers, firefighters, police officers, and other public servants are still being treated like this, and I would love to hear Clark weigh in and perhaps add his voice to those calling for change. So Lisa, this has two sides to it, and you are completely right that people who work in job categories where they have some form of public employee pension end up being discriminated against and their spouse gets discriminated against on Social Security. Here's the problem. There is an exemption on paying into Social Security in those jobs. And the real answer is no one can live or should try to live on Social Security alone. A pension is a great way to build up a meaningful income in retirement is one of what they refer to as the three stools that you have what you've saved, the pension, and Social Security. The fact that so many of these state and local jobs don't require paying into Social Security is why the law has these exclusions, WEP and GPO, that keep you from being able to earn a Social Security check along with whatever pension benefit and whatever money you've saved otherwise in retirement accounts or however you've saved. So the real answer here, the solution is that throughout a career that people pay into Social Security, then you're not going to have these weird penalties that end up potentially impoverishing people in retirement who've done so much disservice as teachers, police officers, firefighters, whatever. So the real solution is to end the exemption from paying into Social Security as part of what these same worker groups don't pay into right now. From Peggy in Ohio, I am invited to a wedding and the invite is via a web platform. The gift registrar It's nicely set up, but I want to give the couple cash, meaning money they can spend or save. The website offers that option, and they say the couple will receive a gift card or voucher. Oh, yeah, right. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Anything wrong with just putting a check in a card and bringing it to the reception like the olden days. I use safety checks purchased at Costco. I don't want my gift depreciated by handling fees. Thanks. Peggy, you're so right. You know, it's funny because with the electronic registries, if someone wants to do old school and just give the couple cash, you get clobbered with very significant junk fees. So, yeah, go back analog. Write that check. Give it to them. They'll be happy to have it. And even though they may not know what you do with the check when you receive one, they'll figure it out and they'll use that check. And I'm completely with you. Next from Heather in Indiana. My question is about my mom giving money to grandkids. I have two children and my sister has one. 
My mom has, on multiple occasions, given my sister's daughter money for various things like groceries, car payments, college tuition, rent, etc., but not given the same to my kids. She sees my children as more successful because they both finish college and make a decent living. My niece never finished college, so my mom feels she is disadvantaged. However, I know my parents can't afford to give the same to all three grandkids, but they don't. Am I being petty? I feel I'm looking out for my children. I don't want my niece not to receive help, but is it fair in your opinion? Should I say something or let it go? Thanks for all you do. So, Heather, this causes so many hurt feelings and family after family after family. When a parent will give assistance to another kid or to grandkids and then others, the parent doesn't give anything to. I remember when my late mom... 25 years ago, was I was with her at the lawyer. She was working on the will. My mom turned to me and said, I just want you to know, I'm not going to give you anything because you don't need it. And she told me that. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So this is something that as long as a parent communicates, hopefully it eliminates the hurt feelings. But parents do this all the time where they'll help out an adult child or grandkids or a niece or nephew help out this one or that one and not the others and they do that either based because they're emotionally closer to that kid which would really be hurtful in this case or they do it just because they think oh this one needs it that one doesn't they're in good shape that one's not and so I having been on the receiving end of what you're talking about I understood it it didn't phase me it didn't upset me and I just laugh about it so I would tell you to understand that your mom is doing what she feels right in her heart about. I would be as accepting as you can of that and not resentful of that. And others may disagree, and that's why we have Clark Stinks. You can go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and share a different perspective on this. I would really appreciate hearing a different perspective. But right now, it is time for today's Clarky, and what do we have, Nicole? This is Clarky Brian. This is Brian from the Pacific Ocean coast of Washington State. Hello, Clark. It's amazing I've been listening to you for over 20 years now. I don't put up with anyone else in my life who talks with such enthusiasm about NFL football or travel. Clark, real football happens at your local high school on a cold Friday night. That's real football, not what you watch on television. Travel. Let other people waste their time and money running all over the place and put up with the hassles. You can see any possible travel experience you'd ever want to take documented by someone on social media, on YouTube, or on a website. I Certainly that's just my opinion. But it helps you save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off taking this approach. Thank you for all you do, except the talking about NFL football and travel. Thank you for this opportunity. Bye-bye. Thank you, Brian. (laughs) First of all, my oldest brother is really into high school football, even though none of his kids played high school football. He's with you completely. He doesn't watch the NFL anymore. He used to. He loves the 
hometown spirit, the joy in a high school stadium. Nicole, you love a college, college stadium. Yes. 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 Big fan of. Go dogs. University of Georgia. Yes. National champions two years in a two row. Two years in a row. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, I just love the NFL game. As for travel, I would not be sated by watching a YouTube video or something like that. I love going all over. I've been to 49 states. I've been to, I should count it up, probably around 75 countries or whatever, every continent except Antarctica. I just love it. I look forward to it so much. I actually love being in airports. So I'm sorry I talk about the travel stuff and my love of the NFL. It's just part of who I am. And I do get so much joy when I travel. And I hope you feel some joy and some learning and you do learn ways to save more and spend less and avoid getting ripped off right here on the podcast. Have a great day.